I'm not Bobby. I am the taller, older, better looking version, I think. <clears throat> Obviously the more humble of the two. Uh, today we get to start our, uh, Bobby's here, but he's been taking a little bit of a break this week, spending some time with the family, a, a much needed and, and very well-deserved break. Uh, today, The Walking Dead, new series. This is awesome, and I love the fact that I get to kick off this series because I am a huge fan of the show. Um, how many of you here are a fan of The Walking Dead? Like six of us, great. Uh, all right. How many of you have ever even heard of the show, at least? How many of you don't have a clue what on earth we're talking about? All righty then. That's okay. That's okay. I'll, I'll take care of you here in just a second. Um, I'm a big enough fan, not only will I admit that I'm a fan, but I will also admit that one of my goals is to get a part on the show as one of the walkers or zombies. <laughs> I would love to be a zombie on that show. I have no idea why. I'm just messed up. But I would love to do that. Now, that would be so neat. I've even gone so far as at one time I actually had the contact info for the casting company who cast all the extras on the show. Um, it was just bad timing on my part. I found it just as they quit filming one season. Uh, so I haven't gone back to, to reestablish that yet, but I'm not giving up on it yet either. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about the show, let me sort of give you a real brief background on what's going on. Uh, and then I'm sure you'll see what all the fuss is about. Apparently, the premise of the show is that some disease has swept over the world. Uh, exactly what or where, that, that's never really addressed at this point. Uh, but basically, a lot of people didn't survive the initial outbreak, and they died. And But some people made it through. And the virus that these people have works to the brain, if I understand this right, works to the brain, destroys the brain tissue, so they're basically brain dead completely, totally, almost, and if you can almost be totally. But in in a time from a few minutes to eight hours after the person dies, their body reanimates. In other words, they come back to life. But they're brain dead. And then they walk. What do they walk for? The only thing they do is they just want to eat. And apparently they are no such thing as a zombie vegetarian. Their main goal is to walk around and eat meat. Much like John Monday. <laughs> Without the brain dead part. I'm not calling John brain dead. I do not want to get broken into pieces after the service. But they just wander. Now, they're called walkers because they can't run. And this is good for the people who survived that are trying to get away from them. And apparently to kill a zombie, a zombie must sustain some sort of head wound. You have to shoot it, gouge it, bash it, something in the head. That's the only thing that will get rid of it for good. And to complicate matters more, if you get bitten, scratched, whatever, by a zombie, then something happens, and in a few minutes, or sometime within the next eight hours, boom, congratulations, now you're one of the walkers. So the whole premise of the show is about this group of survivors who are trying to find other survivors, find shelter, food, everything, while outrunning hordes of people who walk after them and try to eat them. Now you understand, right? I'm sure those of you that haven't heard of it go, oh yeah, I want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it comes on tonight. Um, 
You know, but that, that's the whole premise of the, of the whole show pretty much. It's basically a, a one-hour show about people running for their lives, being chased by people who are trying to eat them but can only walk, and they bash them and gouge them in the heads, and the whole time, sometime the show, you know it's going to scare the living daylights out of you. And that's what the fuss is all about. So, which brings us to today. What on earth does that have to do with the sermon series? It's a really cool title. I mean, isn't it? It's an awesome title. That's about it. Uh, now I'm sure that we're going to, you know, there'll be some times when we refer back to the show and make some comparisons to the show and some things like that. But basically it's just a really cool title. But at the same time, in a very real sense of the word, we as Christians are the walking dead. Now right now, some of you are going, I'm so confused. And some of you go, I don't know about the whole Christian thing, but I, that's the way I was this morning when I got up after last night. I feel like the walking dead already. That's as close as I'm getting to you right here. Okay, Stick with me on this though, okay? And we'll, uh, we'll go through it some. Grab your Bible uh, or your phone if you use the, the Bible app on your phone. or uh, Of course, we'll put all the Scripture up on the screen as well. If you ever need a Bible, there are plenty of free Bibles out in the, the lobby area at the Ridge Central table. Uh, anything out there on that table or on the rack beside it is, is free for your taking. Uh, please take advantage of that. We have it out there and, and, and would love for you to use it. Okay. Today we're going to be focusing on uh, a book in the Bible called 2 Corinthians. Okay. Specifically 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. And I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to back up and sort of, as Bobby likes to say, we're going to unpack it. Okay. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 11 through 21. And, and this is referred to, uh, this little section is referred to as the ministry of reconciliation. For those of you that like that type of terminology. Okay, so it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we truly love you. We thank you for what you do for us, the blessings you pour out on us, the sacrifice that you've made for us. The love that you have for us is beyond our comprehension. Father, you've done so much just to bring us to you. Help us to help us to see that love, to feel that love, and to be your love uh, to those who don't know you, as well as to each other. Father, help us to reconcile with you so that we can know true happiness by your happiness. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your son's name, amen. Okay, so a minute ago I set the stage for the series. Let me set the stage for this scripture, okay? The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians, there's obviously a first and a second. There were actually two very long letters uh, to the church at Corinth, which is a city on the northeast coast of, of Greece. Uh, if you wonder why they call a letter, why would they call it a book? If you got a letter that was so long that later on people would break it into chapters, you'd probably call it a book. Uh, but that's essentially what happened. Now, what happened is this. Paul had been to, to the city of Corinth uh, six years earlier and had set up the church in Corinth. Got planted the church, got it going. It was a healthy church. He spent over a year there. It was, it was, it was booming when he left. But he got it up and going, so he goes off to, to you know, continue his ministry and his, his journeys and, and start new churches. Five years, About five years after he left Corinth, the church sent a group of men to go find Paul. They had questions. Uh, they had questions because they had problems. There were problems that were coming up in the church. Things were going on. They didn't know how to handle them. They needed some answers. They needed some advice. So they sent these guys to Paul with a list of questions. And that's basically what 1 Corinthians is mostly about, is that, that first letter he sent back. So the guys go back, take the information from Paul, go from there. About a year later, Paul gets word there's still problems. Not as much as there were. Uh, the majority of the people in the church of Corinth had gotten their act together and everything was going, you know, going like it should. But there was a minority of people that were really struggling and their biggest struggle seemed to be caused by a group of false prophets and false teachers that had come in after Paul had left. And, you know, they were saying, you know, you know Paul, he's a good guy, but, you know, let's, let's face it, he's, he's kind of crazy. Uh, we're not really sure how much he's drunk, how much he's sober. Uh, he means good, but he's got a few things wrong. This is really how you should do it. And so some people are sort of breaking away and, and, and caught in the middle and not knowing what's going on. So 2 Corinthians is the second letter he sends back to Corinth addressing those issues. Okay? And so that's where we are today, uh, taking a look at this set of Scripture in, in chapter 5. So let's break this down a little bit. Chapter uh, 5, verse, let's take a look at 11 and 12. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Uh, we're here, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. Verse 12, we are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer uh, those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So, basically Paul's saying this. 
you know, look, we know what God's told us to do. Uh, we're not making this stuff up. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what God has said. Now, I really want us to take a look at where he, this thing about uh, knowing the fear of the Lord. What's he talking about right there? It's this. The Bible makes it pretty clear that at some point in time in the future, we're going to, as Christians, we're going to stand before a judgment seat, before the judgment of God. Now, this doesn't have to do with salvation, okay? This isn't for non-Christians. This is for Christians. You know, you've died, you're, you're in heaven, and, and, you know, God says, come on in, you're, you're saved, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you, you know, come on in. But there's going to come a time later on down the road where we answer to God. And God's going to say, look, I gave you this, this, and this. I gave you these talents, these skills, these abilities. This money, this time. What did you do with it? What did you do for my kingdom with what I gave you? And Paul's saying, this scares me. Uh, this sort of scares me. Because I, I want to give an answer where God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, you did great, Here, here's your rewards. I don't want to have to look at God and say, well, you know, that money... I got a new iPhone 5. It had the Bible app, really. I mean, don't that count? You know, I, I tweeted during church. I used it for you. I, you know, I, well, I got some new clothes and I got a, you know, a new car and, and, well, and I got season tickets to UT and, uh, you know, I, no. No, we're all going to be there. Speaking of tweetable moments, you want a tweetable moment for the service? Because I know a bunch of you tweet during service. Here's your tweetable moment. YOLO is BS. You only live once? No, you don't! What a load of bull! YOLO, I want to point blank, is a lie straight out of hell. Satan would love for you to think you only live once. We're all going to live twice. We're living now and we're going to live again. We know where we are now. There are only two options for later on. One is sweet. One is not. No, this YOLO stuff, no, 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 no. It's, that's just... This BS. Uh, no, no. Back on track. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> had a little moment there. Uh, find out where I'm supposed to be. Paul's saying, look, we're explaining our actions, our teachings, so you'll know that this comes from the heart. It's not about how we look. Okay? These false prophets, apparently, they looked really good. And they sounded really good. I mean, they had it together. The whole time they were misleading, lying to the people. Makes you wonder if they weren't politicians. But, you know, it's... That's it. They could sell it. They could sell it. And people were buying it and being misled. Okay? Verse 13 says... 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, I love this. It's a little confusing when I first read it. I really had to do some some thinking and praying and, and, and some studying on this and and talking to some people about it. and Here's what this boils down to. When Paul was worshiping God, when he was spending his time with God, apparently, he would, as we might say today, go Pentecostal. He let it rip. To the point that a lot of people who saw him worshiping thought he was either A, crazy, B, drunk, See all the above. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And he's saying here, you know, if we're acting like that, it's with God. But you can't handle that. And we know you can't handle that. You freak out about that. Uh, You don't get it. It's not to you anyway, but you don't get it, and you freak out. You can't understand it. So you know what? When I'm talking to you and we're dealing with, then I'll be calm and and rational and sober uh, so that I don't freak people out and scare people and you go running for the doors. And that's a lot like it is here at the Ridge. I mean, we have people here who speak in tongues. We have people here who, who love to worship through dance. You're not going to really see that during the service. Because people will freak and run for the doors. Doesn't mean that it's wrong. Doesn't mean that it's hypocritical. It means there's time with God and there's time with other people. And there's more at stake than what I think or what I feel or what I want to do. And God understands that and knows that. And so did Paul. Okay. Now we get into the, to, to the really, really good stuff. Verses 14 and 15. This It's just some awesome stuff. Verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised up. Can I get an amen up in here? Or, in the words of John Monday, This is good stuff! Please don't just sit there and go, okay, there's another couple of verses. Let's just keep it going, keep it going. No, no. Understand what this is going on here, okay? Let's, let's really take a look at this. First of all, for the love of Christ controls us. Us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Christians. Christians. The love of, the love, how much love? Perfect, sinless, got it made in heaven. Gives it all up to come down here and die for us, for me, for you. Even though he knows all the trash and crap we're going to do. He still loves us so much to say, that's okay. That's a lot of love. So the love of Christ does what? Controls us. Controls us. As Christians, we should be controlled by the love of Christ. Okay? So, so what does... Why would or, or, or why does it control us? 
Paul says this. Paul says basically, we finally got it. We, we finally figured out why. We, it clicked. We, we understand now. It's because that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That one has died. What one? What one who? Christ. Christ died, right? Why? Why would He die? Why would Christ... Who would He die for? Me. You, literally. And, and please, when I say Christ died for us, it's not Christ died for us. We love that, don't we? Because when, we, when somebody says He died for us, it's like, oh yeah, that's... I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a little bitty, you know speck of sand on the beach of us, and so I don't, it's really not that, no, it is a big deal. It's not just for us, it's for you personally, for me personally. If you had been the only person on the face of the earth, He would have still died for you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going to do, He already knows it. He died for you, and He died for me. That's love. He died in our place in our place he died and if he died in our place then we died and if we died we're dead but you're here I'm here so we must be the walking dead how about that was that smooth or was that smooth? <laughs> the walking dead. Okay. You get it though? But why would he die? Okay, why would he die for us? Look in verse 15. For those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. So why would he die so, for us? So that we can live for him. And he's saying, now wait a minute. You just told me I was dead. How can I live if I'm dead? Make up your mind. It's both. We are walking dead. Our job is to live for Him. As Christians, we are to be dead to ourself and alive in Christ. Let's take a little further. Okay, so dead to myself. Okay, so where are we going with that? Here's your, that that's your bottom line for the day right there. That's your bottom line, main point, driving home, that we're supposed to be dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. Our calling, our job as a Christian, okay, isn't to live for ourselves. And we live in a world that teaches us the exact opposite. I mean, pounds it into our heads over and over and over and over the whole YOLO crap that it's about us, it's about being happy while you can, you don't have much time, so get all that you can get. You know, focus on you. It's all about you. Let's 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 go, go, go. No, no, no. If we chase happiness in this life, it's a never-ending, futile, and frustrating chase. We can do the things that will make us happy, and it doesn't last. We can get the new phone, and it makes us happy till the next one comes out. We can. Is anybody still using their first cell phone? If I was, I would be carrying around a 5 to 10 pound battery. <laughs> yes, I had one of those. It had the cord that pulls out. I mean, it was, it was awesome. 
especially if you were ever in a fight. Other than that, you know, that was about it. Uh, you know, 4G, it wasn't even 1G. Uh, you could almost holler better and make better contact. And it was 50 cents a call. Ooh, that was, ooh, that was high tech. If you chase that happiness, happiness is a drug. In this world, happiness, you know, a lot of people that will go off on the, so now you've got to have some more of it, but then when you get some more of it, it doesn't make you as happy, so you have to get even more of it to get back up to that first, it's chasing the first high. And it's never ending. And it's only temporary. Our job as Christians is to understand that that happiness of the world is... We want to be happy. Time to make Christ happy. Focused on what makes Him happy. Live for Him, not for us. The difference between joy and happiness right there. Then we feel that real joy. Then we know what it is. It's not always something big and huge. It isn't. Our lives are filled with, with tons of little things that we know that we could do to put a smile on God's face. To take something off of somebody else. To do a little bit of something here or there. Somebody never going to know. Wrong. God knows. He's the one we're trying to make happy anyway. As Christians, we're designed to break from this worldview. Okay? Focus on what makes Christ happy. Look at verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul was saying, we understand this now, that we're not looking and judging things based on the worldview. Flesh, that's the world. The world's view is what it means by the flesh. We don't look at things that way anymore. We don't decide, okay, the world says this should make me happy. Boop, I'm happy. No. We don't judge other people by the way the world judges other people. We don't live by what the world says. It should be the way that we live. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was... <laughs> before his transformation, before his salvation, before, before his experience, he hated Christ. He viewed Jesus as a false messiah. He thought that Jesus being crucified, that Jesus was crucified because he was cursed by God. Forget all the eyewitness accounts that came after the resurrection. Paul didn't buy it. Didn't buy it. Bottom line is, his job was to hunt down and kill Christians. Because he viewed them in the world view at that time as being an abomination to God. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let me read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John Mundy, can I hear it from you? There you go. That's <sighs> Guys, if you sit there and read that and you go, uh, eh. you're missing it. It's talking about you. You. You know, I don't feel so new. I don't, I don't feel... 
you know, I'm a Christian, but man, this new stuff, I don't know, because I still got all the old problems. Satan doesn't wave a white flag easily. And just because you become a Christian, Satan doesn't go, damn it, lost one. Okay, I want to go after somebody else. He says, well, I may have lost him eternity, but I'm sure not going to let him do much in the meantime. And he starts hammering you, just like the walkers. The, the, the back thing in the, the whole series is, yeah, well, you can outrun them. You can just run away, but there are so many of them. They just keep coming. They don't even need sleep. They just You sleep, they keep walking toward you, and they gain in number. And a lot of times in our lives, it's the same way we feel. Our problems just keep coming. And we get away and we take a breath and we think, okay, finally I'm back to maybe where, where God's working in my life and I'm getting closer. And then all of a sudden we look up and hear all these old problems coming at us again. And it's nonstop. It's not an easy trek. It's not an easy journey. Matter of fact, Christ tells us over and over and over in the Bible, it's going to be tough. We're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. There are going to be casualties. But you've got to fight. Because you're new. You're not what you were. You're not one of them. You're you. You're a new creation in me. That's some good stuff right there. But we've got to remember, it's not about us. It's about Christ. We get into these last few verses, these last four verses, 18 through 21. Let's read through these as we get ready to wind this up this morning. It was talked about this ministry of reconciliation. Big term, sounds good. What on earth does it really mean, though? Well, what's, what's it mean to reconcile? To, to reconcile is to come into agreement with something or someone, to come into harmony with them, um, be brought together, uh, accept, submit. It, it takes that gap and pulls it together, is to reconcile. So this ministry of reconciliation says, verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In a nutshell, to sum it all up, this is what Paul's saying. Again, he's saying, look, this is from God. This is not from me. This is from God. God, who sent his son, his perfect, sinless son, to sacrifice himself for you and me. Why did he do that? So that we could be reconciled. So that we can close that gap. So that we can be with God, in harmony with God. Part of his kingdom. Understanding, in agreement, submitting to, accepting him. And. And. doesn't stop there. It goes on, and, and as Christians, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for Christ. God is using us to persuade others to be reconciled, to come into agreement, to come into harmony, to come into God's kingdom, to accept Christ as their Savior. That's His plan, is to use us. Could God go around and go, boink, 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 and we go, whoo, yes, I'm all in. Yes, He could. He doesn't even have to boink. He can just go, okay, boom. Everybody loves me. And everybody would love Him. That's not how He chose to do it. He chose to give us the free will to be able to make that choice. It's our job to try to persuade people to see what's really going on. To reconcile them to God. How do we do that? How do we do that? First step, we have to reconcile ourselves. I can't stand here today and tell you as a Christian, as a pastor, that there aren't things that stand between me and God. It's a constant fight for the things that try to separate me from God. That constant fight of pursuing the things that I want, living my life, doing the things that make me happy versus doing the things that make God happy. It's a fight. And it's not an easy fight. We have to reconcile ourselves. Every day you walk into the world and people see you and people look at you and they either see that you're just like them or that you have something special. And our actions speak louder than our words. They're looking for love. The world is looking for love. The world looks at us for love. The church, the individuals. They look to see if we're smoking what we're selling. They're looking to see if we're controlled by the love of Christ. We're talking it, but are we showing it? Do we show how much we love them? Do we show that it is actually, oh, we say it's about Christ, and then we go out and live for ourselves? You don't think they notice that? I mentioned before that before Paul's salvation, he actually hunted down Christians. He refused to accept all the accounts that Christ had risen and was the true Messiah. There have been times I've sat there and thought, yeah, how? How could you do that? How could, how could somebody have lived anywhere close to Christ's time and heard about all the miracles, heard about everything, the, the crucifixion, the, the coming back, the, the spending time with followers, the, the rising up into heaven being seen. How could anybody know about that and go, yeah, I don't buy it. The truth of the matter is, millions and millions of people do it every single day now. The accounts are still there. They just don't buy it. And it's our job to show them that it's true. Not just tell them, but to show them. That starts with our own reconciliation so that we can help them to, to be reconciled, to come closer to Christ. Paul understood the account, accountability that we'll be held to. And it scared him. 
Now, if it scared somebody like Paul, and it doesn't scare me, I'm missing something. We need to be a little bit more scared about disappointing God. And I know people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't get into this whole fear thing, scared thing. Uh, you know, God's supposed to be a God of love. Why should I be afraid? We live in fear of disappointing people every day, don't we? We're afraid that we'll disappoint our children, our parents, our spouses, our boss, our friends. We get upset when we disappoint them. But the Creator of the universe, who sent His perfect Son to sacrifice Himself for us, Somehow we buy into this thing that uh, we shouldn't be too, too worried about disappointing Him. Really? It should break our hearts when we disappoint Him. And it should scare us. Rich church, Christians, it's time that we die to ourselves and live for Him and make that how we live so that the world can see His love, that it controls us and come to Him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Please forgive us for being inward focused and living for ourselves. Please forgive us for not appreciating the love that you have for us. For taking it for granted or just sort of blowing it off as secondary. Father, help us to reconcile ourselves to you. Father, help us to help each other reconcile ourselves to you. Father, I pray that you pour your Holy Spirit onto this church, onto this body of believers to the extent that your love shines through by our, not just our words, but by our actions. That people know that you are here in Oak Ridge just by what the love that this church pours out. And not just when we come together as a group of believers, but in our individual lives as well. Father, help us to where people look at us and go, I want that. I don't know what you've got, but I want it. Father, draw us close so that we can draw others close to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.